Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to another episode of Purple Insider, where, look, this time in the Chris Trapasso Draft Show, no jokes allowed, full draft season, we are very serious about people's pro days, and what they run in the 10-yard split will determine their fate, Chris, okay? So what a day for Derek Stingley Jr. Football. Yeah, I mean, I could sense the, the sarcasm just dripping all over that rant at the beginning there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was someone that watched Derek Stingley really early on, and I had him as my number two overall player almost from the get-go, and that's where he stayed. Uh, so, yeah, for, for fans, for media members, and I think maybe some coaches or new GMs that were kind of quote-unquote late to the process, it was a big deal. The one thing as a draft analyst that does this year-round is that I would say – him jumping 30 and a half inches, 38 and a half inches and running between four, three, seven and four, 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 you know, at his pro day, which is not, wouldn't be shocking if it was juiced a little bit was the fact that he's coming off that Liz Frank injury. And that like, I think he almost had an excuse built in that had he not jumped as high as he did or ran as fast as he did, there would be some criticism, but then a lot of people would say, Hey, you know, he had a broken bone in his foot or whatever a Liz Frank is or, injury is I, I know it's serious for a wide receiver and for a cornerback especially so that was the biggest takeaway that I took from it was just like man he looks he's got to be 100% because those are 100% type figures for Derek Stingley all right well let's play your draft intro and then I will talk about it more seriously about what it means for the Vikings okay. good evening and welcome to the NFL draft draft season is here come on come on break down every need they're not gonna pick a quarterback they need offensive linemen they need defense every pro day he had a phenomenal pro day explosive really good in the three cone the broad jump and every mock you could probably tell me if you think the vikings would actually do it i can tell you as a draft analyst that they absolutely should welcome to the chris trapasso draft show on purple insider this is a good podcast to listen to leading into the draft Okay, so I tweeted that Derek Stingley Jr. after running a four or whatever it was, very fast, would not be going to the Vikings. He won't be available because everyone wanted to see if his injury was healed and if he was fast. Also, big day for pronunciation of Liz Frank or Liz Frank. Which mm. two, yeah, I know I've heard it both ways. It's a crazy time to live. Uh, but uh, I really think that the level of prospect he is that – Everyone just want to know, are you fast? Are you healthy? And that remains an issue from his last couple of seasons, but he is still a tremendous prospect that now I feel like will likely go higher, but also it's not that serious people. 
I got people tweeting me about, oh, his broad jump wasn't good enough. And things that. I'm like, look, 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 I have no idea. All right. I, I don't know if that's actually going to be the case, but it makes sense to me that it would be significant that he is this fast and that it's very possible he could suddenly be out of the running for a guy that makes so much sense for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I think we have to all remember that Daniel Jeremiah, I think in the 2019 draft class, his mock draft the day before the draft or the morning of, I think he even updated it. He hit on eight of the 32 first round picks prospect and team. I don't think position necessarily. And afterward, he said that was like the most he's ever gotten. So we really have no clue, especially where these guys are going to go. Uh, the one thing that's weird about this, and I'm not trying to speak from an ivory tower saying like, hey, I was, you know, I was first on Derek Stingley. I'm not a big, I watched him before you type of draft analyst. It, that I get everyone's on their own schedules, whatever. But I, I think having me on this show for your listeners, it, it's I'm someone that is doing it from before the buzz begins or uh, a prospect can lose steam with his draft stock. So I'm almost doing it as genuinely as possible because it's not, hey, well, yeah, I watched Derek Stingley's pro day. Now I'm going to go back and watch his film and I'm going to grade him as a number two overall player. Uh, what's weird is that before he worked out, there was a lot of criticism out there that like, hey, yes, he does get injured a lot. Like we're a little concerned about that. But a lot of people's main gripe was that, oh, his 2020 and 2021 film was not really as good as 2019. It wasn't about, hey, like he's he's injured and if he's healthy, he's you know, going to be picked ahead of Sauce Gardner. So everyone kind of uh, this course on NFL draft Twitter or NFL Twitter in general being like, look at how fast he is. Wow. He might be a top 10 pick now. It's like, wait a minute. How did this change his quote unquote bad film from 2020 and 2021? To me, it didn't do that. Um, and to the the trolls back at you trolling saying that a 10 foot two inch broad jump isn't that good. It's like this, I think 60 something percentile. So it's not amazing. Uh, and I think that there's a still a decent chance that Derek Stingley's on the board. Like I said, right before we started, he could go number two overall to the Dan Campbell Lions. And I think that would be a kind of surprising, but not like, holy crap, this is like Tyson Alu-Alu going in the first round when Mel Kuyper didn't even like have him graded. Uh, that was to me like the biggest draft shock uh, that I can remember. But he could also be, you know, get passed by the Vikings and go in the 20s. I don't think today really changed that much. If you liked Derek Stingley before, you thought he was that fast, you thought he was that explosive, and if you were a little bit concerned, maybe him running as fast as he did coming off the Liz Frank injury helped a little, but in general, if you didn't like him, you weren't a huge fan of his 2020 and 2021 film. Just to be clear, I have no idea whether it's Liz Frank or Liz Frank. I've I'm never just saying heard of Liz I, Frank, but I, I'm just saying I've you. heard it. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that I know that that's the case. Or maybe I'm just messing with you. I guess that's for you to decide. So, um, but no, here's the thing. Also, I can look this stuff up, like how much someone's broad jump matters as a corner, because we have a wonderful internet world. And the thing that I was actually making fun of, the 10-yard split has correlated more to cornerback success than anything else. It's not even close. I believe it was Kevin Cole of Pro Football Focus who studied this. Wasn't vertical up there? Uh, I think vertical might have been, uh, but the second, it was, I think, uh, let me see here. Split. I tweeted this like not too long ago. 40 yard so, dash was not a strong correlation at all. Broad jump was not. I want to say it was 10 yard split and then vertical and they were one, two, I believe. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Why don't we go through them just real quick? Cause I have this. 
through all the defensive positions. Hang on. I'll find it. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I was curious, like, that's a good question. Does it matter that he didn't broad jump enough? Uh, which I mean, <laughs> I mean, I made, the, I made the joke like, look, this isn't the broad jump Olympics, man. This is like playing football. Uh, so it turns out that the three cone means like less than nothing. The broad jump means absolutely nothing. The 40 something, but not everything. 10 yards split a lot. And also no surprise here, but height and weight. I mean, those matter arm less than you'd think. Um, mm. So yeah. Oh, vertical. Yes. You were asking about the vertical. The vertical is at is second to the 10 yards. Yeah. So those, I read things, that article too. It was good. Yeah. Those are the things that make a difference um, when it comes to cornerbacks. And I think that, you know, what Stingley did today was good. It was good for him, especially the 10 yard split. I guess the larger point here is that uh, why I, I'm, I'm always trying to give my original, genuine, sincere, whatever other word you want to describe to be just true to the heart evaluations are. I feel like with the pro day circuit, it's just a way to use confirmation bias. If you really like Derek Singley, you tweet out, wow, look at how great he is. If you don't, you say, hey, you know, I didn't really like his film anyway. If you think someone's really fast on film, you're kind of double counting it. If he runs a really fast 40, it shouldn't really boost his stock if you already had him higher. So for as much as I, I definitely read articles like Kevin Cole's there, believe in analytics. I love, um, you know, three cone for edge rushers. There's a strong correlation there at that position. But in general, it's like it sounds like old football guy in me saying it, that film matters more than anything else. And not just film of like even production because I think a lot of times at every position, including corner and edge rusher, you can be kind of schemed up a little bit. It's you really have to watch the traits. And I've like noticed that like when I'm watching film, I'm watching football players and I love it. I'm grateful for my job. I'm really like analyzing human beings movements on a field. Like how twitchy was he? What, what <laughs> grade should I give that? Should that be an eight, six or an eight, seven? And that's, I have all these layers on my scouting grade book, but I realize I'm like, there is a lot of subjectivity to this and it's really uh, grading the traits and how they will project to the next level. So the pro day stuff, I, I don't, I really don't factor in much at all into my grading system. Cause I feel like it's just a way to confirm an opinion that you already have of a player off watching his film. I also think sometimes you just have to be a little self-aware about everything and be like, um, you know, I sent you this, this video clip of Desmond Ritter. And I was like, this is why I don't believe in him. Look at this. And you're like, what am I doing with my life here? Um, but uh, <laughs> which, which I, I do want to get your opinion on at some point, because I was talking about this with Courtney Cronin the other day. It was like the, the Desmond Ritter ball floating, I think is a problem like that. It doesn't like zip, but uh, let's not get off track here. Cause I did want to get uh, to tell people what the other positions were. So the three cone actually has crazy correlation with the interior defensive lineman, mm. which I don't think is a huge surprise. I mean, the three cone is quickness and foot footwork and stuff like Explosion that. Explosion too. Uh, no surprise. Also, the bench would matter there. So <laughs> shocking football stuff here, folks. If you're quicker and stronger, it's good. Um, <laughs> for, <laughs> for edge defender, it's kind of a combo of a lot of things. Like the three cone, the vertical, the 40, those sort of all. Uh, are part of it. Height and weight is less than you would think, but um, the 40 seems to really attract teams in terms of their draft position, but doesn't have the same sort of impact, which I think is kind of interesting. 
Uh, Off-ball linebackers nobody cares about anymore. And safeties, uh, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll scroll back up. But we're just like talking about how <laughs> off-ball linebackers are easily replaced. But off-ball linebackers are almost nothing. Nothing really jumps out to say, oh, wow, this must be like the thing that you should really look for, which I think it's because it's an intelligence position. And safety, height and weight seem to matter a lot to draft position, but not so much to uh, success. And no shock there, the, the 40 and the 10-yard split. Well, this says so this is a Kyle Hamilton thing. This says the 40 kind of matters for safeties, uh, which I think pops out. But I don't even know what Kyle Hamilton's real 40 is. I just know that some people might want us to think it's slow because they want Kyle Hamilton. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's draft season, baby. Yeah. I think too, that, uh, about all those, uh, like all that research and like what matters, what doesn't to use those in a, a way that is kind of functional for a pre-draft process. It's like when there is a player that I watch his film and I'll use a Wisconsin linebacker, Leo Chanel, he's like a second or third round type. On film, I literally thought he was one of the slowest linebackers I've seen. Like downhill, good, big, overpowering. But I was like, this guy is not. Like occasionally looked a little twitchy, did not look rangy. And then he jumped like 40 inches and ran like four or five. And everyone's like, this guy is going to go top 40 now. That's a red flag to me. If you're like that good of a tester, but you don't show that on the field, that's like a little concerning. So it's not really for me at all that I see someone run. It, it's not very often that I see someone run a lot faster and go, well, I got to boost his speed score now. It's like I did not see – and a lot of the guys this year, I don't know if like there was that theory during the combine that like the one night of the combine was kind of juiced and then the next night they used like a different stopwatch or something. Um, I know it's like when the officials come out, they're like electronically timed. But a lot of the corners, I think it was, were really fast receivers. Like there was like Bo Melton from Rutgers, like ran in the high four threes. And I was like, I have high four threes. Like a lot of players don't play to the to their speed on the feet or, or to what they show at a pro day or at a combine. So that's another reason why, you know, during this period, not just coming on this show, but radio shows, stuff like how much of an impact did this pro day have? I, I think it can matter to teams. But it shouldn't. And I think that's where teams can get into a lot of trouble where they fall in love with a workout and then on the field that player just doesn't have that type of athleticism. Ritter is definitely that guy for athleticism. Yes, absolutely. Doesn't, absolutely. Doesn't play with it. I have no. so all right. I mentioned this somewhere, but like here's my comp for Ritter, Josh McCown. I think he's Josh McCown. Because his athletic scores are outrageous, but you never really see it in his play. He seems like a really, really great guy like smart leadership, all that stuff. The ball just doesn't have a whole lot of juice. And mm -hmm. if you have Josh McCown as your quarterback, you're probably not winning a lot. Um, but I think you could also be functional on a rookie quarterback contract. So start, but not necessarily take team to the Super Bowl. And I don't see a high end skill of his that could take a team to the Super Bowl. That as I see him gaining this is because this is like my draft season hot take and I'll be uh, excited to track it. But this is like what I'm seeing from him as I watch more breakdowns and more coach people tell me that his footwork is wonderful. I'm just like, guys, the ball doesn't get there very fast and he doesn't use any of that speed. So what am I missing here? No, I think that's a good one. And it, it's kind of to the it's related to the idea that that we talked about and then I wrote about the comparing top prospects to bus. I think every year too, more specifically, 
at quarterback, like everyone's comparison at, at quarterback, like is either a really good starter that got picked later, like Dak Prescott, maybe Kirk Cousins, if we're going to call him a really good starter. Or everyone is Kirk Cousins, who's not everyone. Passed. Every Unreal. white guy, yes, everyone Unreal. that's white that's not like six five with a big arm is Kirk Cousins. But what I'm saying is, is that I think a lot of the first round prospects every year they always get compared to other former first round prospects when that shouldn't be the case. If that's not how that player is stylistically, I like that Josh. Um, McCown comparison a lot. And, and what I would say the next step from that in terms of you monitoring it, the case study would be, well, if Desmond Ritter goes in the first round and it seems like at this point a lock, I, I think he could be that surprise that goes way earlier than anyone expects, um, like goes in the top 10 or something or top 15, like a like a surprise team or there's, there's a trade, the Saints move up again uh, to see how, hey, maybe this guy's skills are very similar to Josh McCown's. What would Josh McCown's career have been like had he been a first-round pick where a team right. was like, hey, we're fully invested in you. We're going to build around you. We're going to get the plays that you want. Like, wasn't Josh McCown like a seventh-round pick and he was like a journeyman all around the league, obviously? That, to me, it, like, that's a totally different story where you look at the the history of draft position matters at every position, Um but not so because, oh, hey, you got picked in the seventh round. You're not as good. It's just you're not going to get as many reps in, in practice. They're not building around you. That's why, like, uh, Joe Goodberry, who we know well, that's a big mm-hmm. Cincinnati uh, Bengals guy, very, very smart analyst here from Western New York, that he mentioned that when the Bengals picked Andy Dalton, like, they had to because A.J. Green was not going to last, you know, much further than, like, the fourth or fifth pick. But with Andy Dalton going in the second round, it was kind of like, yeah, we're not. I mean, they tried to build around him, but I, I think it was like, oh, you were a second round pick. So uh, that's kind of what we could look at with Desmond Ritter. Like maybe a Josh McCown skill set could have actually worked out and been good, but no teams were ever willing to invest in him as their starter. Yeah. I asked Kirk Cousins this once what he mm. thought of uh, like why being a fourth round pick. Well, why he thought quarterbacks succeeded and why they didn't. I mean, as a fourth round pick, he's had unbelievable success for his draft status. And, um, you know, I mean, (laughs) he might have made more money than almost every first round pick at this point. And I just asked him, like, what do you think? And he said the biggest thing for him, and I'm sure there's a hundred other things you could put into it. Some guys cannot throw the ball accurately. And Sage Roosevelt's explained that the NFL ball is a little different than the college ball. And it's like, what in the world? <laughs> we, we already have enough trouble college football. You have to make the ball different. So anyway, um, I think he said it's like a little more slick or it's a little harder to throw, whatever it is. Anyway, that's not the point. Uh, but what Kirk was saying was like, look, I landed on a Washington team where I didn't have to start right away. And a Shanahan was my coach and another Shanahan was my coach. And then (laughs) McVay was my coach. And then they gave me Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garcon, Vernon Davis, and uh, Josh Reed or uh, yeah, uh, Jordan Reed. And so like, that was their uh, Josh Reed is a TV guy from Buffalo. I know. So that's uh, like, that was a perfect circumstance. Trent Williams Mm -hmm. is left tackle. Brandon Scherf is his right guard. And so you could step in and have an opportunity to succeed. They're running the boots all the time. They're giving him lots of opportunity. And so he was allowed to develop by sitting. And then when he did start, got the right opportunity. So could a Desmond Ritter in the right spot? And that's where it's always so difficult to analyze your takes where it's like, I don't think Josh Rosen actually succeeds in any spot because he was so lost. And that was at first the, oh, well, they fired their offensive coordinator and their coach was bad. And then, but once it's two teams, 
once you don't show anything as a backup with any other teams that they want to keep you like, okay. Um, but you know, maybe Ryan Tannehill is a good example for this, where there's a guy who showed flashes, but he also had Adam Gase and then he escapes and then turns into a very good quarterback. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to say, are you a wrestling guy? You watch professional wrestling? I no? did when I was a kid, but I seem to be in the growing minority that does not watch that. Okay. So I watched a little when I was a kid as well. Hulk Hogan. I played the video oh, games yeah. mm-hmm. and a pandemic thing was my wife wanted to watch it because we watched a Netflix show called glow, which was about women wrestlers. Mm-hmm. It was a thing that really happened in the eighties and super fun. Highly suggest. So we wanted to watch the real thing. And I had not watched in many, many years, like literally since Hulk Hogan. And uh, so the, the so we're watching not too long ago. And it's like, wait, Ronda Rousey is a professional wrestler now. When did this happen? And so I'm getting to a draft comparison. I promise you. And then we could like draft (laughs) Sam or talk about something else. But so anyway, I'm watching Ronda Rousey and I'm like, everything looks a step slow because she's new to this. And so even though she's a way better athlete than the person she's wrestling against, it just looks like it's not quite there. And I think that that is what you're talking about when you watch a prospect and then you see them test and you go, Holy hell, that was not there on, on tape. It's like, Mm -hmm, if your mind is, if your mind is a step slow and you can't maximize fully your athleticism, it doesn't really matter what you do in a track meet. Yeah. And I think that would be across a lot of other sports. Like, if you're in basketball and you're doing the the uh, layup line, you make every single layup, you're going, maybe your coach yells at you, you crank it up to 80%. And then in a game, it's a fast break and you need to go full bore and you miss more layups than you ever thought you could possibly miss. Like, how did I just miss that layup? I think game speed and time speed, that's why you know we hear a lot about that. And I think, too, that we, the media, are behind in that. I don't know about the combine. But it feels like what for the last three or four years now, teams have had like the mile per hour data on the players. A quick bill story, which is not something like an inside story, but it's just out there. Um, Brandon Bean, the Bills GM, uh, before the 20, what would it be, 2020 combine, loved Gabriel Davis. And when he ran, I think in the mid four fives, he like there was some video that the Bills website put out or uh, something that said, it like showed Brandon Bean react to it. And he was like, yes, I'm so glad that he ran as slow as he did. I, I think it was mid four fives because he's like, we have him a lot faster than that. They picked him in the fourth round. They were happy. They got great value. And now they presumably have, you know, maybe a good number two wide receiver. So I, I think there are still some teams that see a, a, a great 40 from a receiver or a corner or an edge rusher and, and get all excited and move them up the board. But I think a lot of teams, especially the ones that, you know, Seth Walder from uh, w, or WGR, ESPN uh, always keeps tabs on like how many analytics people are, are in front offices. Those teams I think are almost like, Hey, we have kind of an advantage here that we know really how fast these guys are. Um, so we're not going to get lulled into a prospect or hate a prospect if you run super fast or super slow. Folks, I've been working on a new studio space to shoot some videos. And what better to have in the background than some awesome prints from our friends at Soda Stick. They have all the designs that they put on clothes, but you can also have them hanging on your walls too, which I will very soon. Everything from the homage to the Metrodome to the Felino fan club to the hooked on a feeling design to the straight cash homie. They have it 
all. Perfect for your football cave or your living room right over the TV. However you want to do it, go to sodastick.com. That's S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off hats, hoodies, shirts, and of course, your prints. I was talking to someone who worked for an NFL team on the analytics side for a long Mm. time the other day who said the data really is driving everything now, which I think is amazing. And it's one of the reasons that we have people from pro football focus on the show all the time. And we talk about their numbers because, well, they're not just drafting for data. Of course, they're using it in a lot of creative ways to try and get edges. And that's the history of the game. It's one of the reasons that I've always loved uh, football is because it's always this push and pull this like now teams are spreading it out. Now they're bringing fullbacks back. Now they're using, you know, less linebackers or they're zone blitzing more to stop this, to gain this. It's, it's always so interesting. And now there's like this, there's this data battle of like who can use all these numbers that are suddenly available that weren't available five years ago to get edges and spot players like that. And I think, of course, the Vikings are trying to be ahead of this ball game with someone like Kwesi Adafo-Mensa. One quick thought on this, just so we're not on this point for too long. What I want to see is, be, and it's it's analytics-based, but it's beyond just the numbers. I want to see a team, and maybe it's the Vikings. They did it last year. I know, you know, different regime, but having a analytics-based GM, a team that just constantly trades back and has like, nine to 11 picks every single year. I have not seen that happen. The Patriots to a certain degree did it. The 49ers like in their Patrick Willis era did it a fair amount. Uh, Cause to me that being a draft guy, if there's one overarching thing, like we're saying, you know, uh, vertical matters a little bit for this position, just get more roles at the table. Say we are going to hit on 25% of our draft picks. So let's get 10 draft picks instead of six draft picks. I would love to see that because it almost feels like when a team trades back on draft night, you're like, oh man, they could have picked this guy and that guy and this guy. In most scenarios, and I haven't done you know full research on this, in most scenarios, the team that trades back and gets more picks just based on the premise I just explained usually makes out a lot better. But I think what's combating that is all these teams going all in and trading for all these players and not caring about first round picks. It would just be interesting to see actually the one team Baltimore Ravens are so good getting compensatory picks that not that they trade back a lot, but they have so many of those third, fourth and fifth rounders that I think that's been a big part of what Ozzie Newsome kind of handed off to Eric DaCosta there, their GM saying, Hey, just try to get as many comp picks. You get cheap labor. You're going to miss on a lot of those third and fourth rounders, but you're also going to hit on them too. super cheap deals i would just love to see a team that just says hey we're gonna trade back oh sure we'll trade back we have no strong convictions here feels like the the male ego or just the ego of a gm usually comes in and says hey we're gonna trade up for this guy we know he's gonna be good when really like you're saying none of us know so i would just add a little asterisk that i know everyone from vikings land is thinking that doesn't mean get a bunch of sevenths okay <laughs> okay yeah, the sevenths shouldn't really matter <laughs> i think you should use those sevenths to yes. trade for like middle of the road veterans during the off season. That Do is that. Right. The, 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 getting seven or five seventh rounders to keep Matthew Collar waiting on Saturday late evening to, to have these picks roll in. That's not necessary. 
I cannot tell you how long of a day that is when the GM trades back and back and back and back and has all sevenths. Like, come on. Um, but uh, I think it was, was it last year? They didn't take any sevenths and it was amazing because everyone was still drafting and we were already doing the press conference. So anyway, yeah. uh, not for me, but just because it was a bad idea more than anything. But to your point, if you're talking about trading down a few spots in the first, getting a fourth, trading down a few spots in the second, getting a fifth, like these things uh, where you can develop players, that I think is a good idea. The only thing is that when you, the higher you draft in the first, the more chance you have a hall of famer. So you have to kind of balance that like, Mm -hmm. okay. And that's, I think a major thing with number 12 is do like 12 has produced some hall of fame level players. I, you know, 18 has probably produced fewer, but at this draft where everyone seems to be very down on most of the people in the first round, like, well, what might be the difference? And I think that's what you're always looking for. So um, now you did an article I was going to ask you about as uh, we could call this show like draft hacks is kind of like what we've been talking about. It's like uh, ways to hack the draft. Um, Buyer beware article on different players. And I kind of gave you mine. I'm a little buyer beware on Desmond Ritter. I'm not telling you that I know. I'm just saying that there's some of these things with the zip on the ball and kind of maybe you're missing like some really key points when you're just watching his footwork. Also, how many times have we heard guys have great or terrible footwork and what the heck that doesn't ever seem to really matter in the NFL. It's so different. So anyway, that's a total aside. That's my buyer beware. Who is your buyer beware prospect or prospects? Okay, I have two headliners. The first, more so than anyone else, is Trevon Walker from Georgia. Everything that I talked about earlier in that he had this insane combine workout, a three-cone of 6.89 seconds at 6'5", 272. That's Miles Garrett's size. And to have a three-cone under seven seconds at that size, ridiculous. He is nowhere near that bendy on film. He is legitimately stiff around the corner. The people that love him are like, hey, Georgia asked him to two-gap a lot. I saw a fair amount of pin-the-ear back uh, rushes where he just could not turn the corner. And most almost six-foot-six edge rushers aren't really great at doing that anyway. So after you go from there, you're like, okay, well, there are some not super elastic edge rushers that are tall that are good. Those guys are usually outstanding with their hands. I think Donnell Hunter, for as much of a physical specimen as he is, his handwork is through the roof. It's up there in the top five to seven in terms of he has every pass rush move in the arsenal. It's powerful. It's effective. It's efficient. It, it's done in a blink of an eye, and he's to the quarterback. Trevon Walker doesn't have that either. He's not good with his hands at all. He can stack and shed for the run to stop the run on the edge, but in terms of his pass rushing moves, I was like, this guy has no pass rushing moves. He's just all speed off the ball, some power to his game, overpower or just overwhelming being six foot five and almost 275 pounds. And he might go number two overall or three or ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, He just screams buyer beware to me because the two most important things, in my opinion, to be an edge rusher, bend and pass rushing moves. And yes, he could learn those. I think in the division, Rashawn Gary is a decent example of that. Took him two years though. He was basically on the bench in Green Bay for two years. And I think Rashawn Gary was a lot bendier and had some pass rushing moves. I wasn't a big fan of him because I thought they weren't of, you know, mid first round caliber. Trevon Walker's are like second or third round caliber. 
So he's the biggest one. Jermaine Johnson is the other. And this one is probably more on the Vikings uh, radar because I don't think Javon Walker is going to get to 12. Not super bendy either. He's taller. The pass rushing moves are better. So there's probably a, a greater likelihood that he becomes a quality NFL player. Um, but I don't think he's outstanding using his hands. I think there's a spin move. He likes his bull rush is very good, but stringing together a swipe move or a swim to the inside. I never really saw that. And I saw a lot of, I don't want to say stretches where he was invisible, but six or seven rushes in a row, really high, not a lot of power to his game and just kind of complacent. Like, Oh, I'm not going anywhere. I have no plan on this play. His splashes are better than Trevon Walker's and are what people are going to, uh, kind of hold themselves to and what ESPN is going to show when he's picked. But to be like a top 10 or the number 12 overall pick, I want to see you be like electric around the corner or use your hands consistently very, very well. And I did not see that with Jermaine Johnson. Yeah. I, I think that the edge rushers are always really, really hard um, to balance the athleticism. And then everybody loves the senior bowl thing. And oh, yeah, and he had one senior bowl practice, yeah. one yeah. senior bowl practice, like seven reps. And then he called it a week. He said, I'm not practicing anymore. I'm not playing. I totally get it. His agent probably said, uh, look at Twitter. Everyone's freaking out about how yes. good you did against this Southern Utah left tackle here at the senior bowl. That's what <laughs> shot him through the roof. I think pre senior bowl, go look at grinding It's a great website that shows like the average or expected draft position of almost every prospect based on like every mock draft on the internet in like the week before the combine Jermaine Johnson was like early second round right where I have him graded he has that one senior bowl practice and then it's like into the 20s and then into the teens and then in the top 10 he's a good player but I think there's a decent amount of risk because he needs a lot more polish and he's a, a little bit higher taller not bendy around the corner Southern Utah just catching a stray. Yeah, Braxton just, Jones is actually a good prospect. I just threw him out there. Sorry. Southern just for Utah. just just for no reason. Thunderbirds. The Thunderbirds. Oh man, I was that was what I was gonna ask you. I was gonna ask you what you think awesome they're nickname. Yeah, I was, or, uh, but you already knew. How am I surprised that you already knew? Uh well, for better call Saul fans, go land crabs. Um, if you watch Better Call Saul. I have not. Sorry. Dude, I'm a loser. Dude, you're just grinding the <laughs> tape, but I, I have one show that I've ever cared about my whole life and it's better call Saul and it's coming really? back. Anyway, go land crabs. People who've seen the show know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, I got another one for you and you might disagree because you're football, you're football guy, but I think buyer beware on Tyler Linderbaum mm. because of what he plays and what his size is. And I see like his write-ups, best center at prospect of our lifetime. He played baseball. He threw shot put. He's a wrestler. He was unbelievable at all these things, but, and I'm not like, it's not even anything to do with Garrett Bradbury. It's just a center and it's a 290 pound center. And if you're going to be that boy, you got to buck some serious trends to be successful because everybody in the league has been saying your centers actually have to get bigger because of the amount of interior pass rush, everyone's attacking the middle these days and how much impact that can have, even if he's good is somewhat limited. And every year there's like eight free agent centers who can play to me. That's a buyer beware on, even if he's good, I'm not convinced that that matters that much. Well, yeah, that's what this whole buyer beware article is all about. Like what you said, bucking the trend that, that they have to kind of beat the odds or buck the trends 
that's why I think uh, Trevon Walker is super risky. Jermaine Johnson, not as much, but yes, with, with Linderbaum, it's, I have him graded like in the back portion of the first round. When I got to his film, I was like, you can see the size and length deficiencies on film. Now, yes, there are some incredible reach blocks. Uh, I wrote that he's the best screen blocker that I've ever watched because he's so athletic down the field. Right. But what are you calling two screens a game, three maybe? And is that going to change you as an offense if you have a really good center on screens? Not really. Uh, he does need to get a lot stronger. I think he's stronger than Garrett Bradbury was, like deals with power a little better. But again, 10 pounds lighter than Garrett Bradbury was and arms shorter than Garrett Bradbury. And that especially with um, not only just interior pass rushers, there's a lot of big, athletic, 330-pound-plus nose tackles that can push the pocket. It's not just we're not in the era of the legitimate nose tackle or back in our day, the nose guard. You remember when you're my dad used to call them nose guards where they just oh, yeah. right on oh, yeah. right on the ball and they couldn't do anything. They were just mountains in the middle of a defense. There is Vita Vea out there and Kenny Clark out there that are gigantic that can get after the passer. So yeah, there is buyer beware on Tyler Linderbaum, although wherever he's picked, and this is again no disrespect to any of these analysts. They're going to just rave over all the run blocking ability and the zone blocking scheme ability for Tyler Linderbaum. He has to pass protect on a regular basis, probably 60 to 70% of the time. And I think he's a little bit further behind uh, than people want to actually admit to this late in the pre-draft process. That's the thing. It's impossible not to make the Bradbury comparison because what were Bradbury? It should be there. Yeah. Reach blocks, screens. And you know what? In the NFL, he's actually been terrific at those things. And what does it mean? It, when it's third down and seven, and they're sending Zadarius Smith over you as a center, can you deal with his power? And when it's even when it's first and ten, and like you said, Kenny Clark is coming after you, can you deal with what, what he's lining up face to face with you, and he's going to get underneath you pretty quick? Can you deal with that? And that's length, way dude. more, yeah, way more. Bad. The length has been a huge issue for Bradbury. Everybody gets their hands on him first, so it's kind of like. It's like in chess where you get to move uh, the white pieces first. You get to attack first, and that's yep. what your nose tackle gets. He gets to attack you first and not you against him. I, I'm just I'm just buyer beware. He might be the best center of all time. I don't know, but I, that's what I would say because I get a lot of tweets. Mikey should get him. They don't have a center, and I'm like, yeah, but they tried this, didn't they? So I don't know. Uh, let's do a quick draft sim here yes. and uh, yep. t- take a look at how things are kind of changing a little bit as PFF updates the simulator. And uh, okay, I'm going to run through and then we can uh, stop and talk about some stuff if you want to. So first overall on this one is Aiden Hutchinson, which I just think is just become kind of a thing that's not interesting. And if it's not him, then we'll all be shocked. Um, (laughs) Kyle Hamilton going second. Is that still possible that he would go to Detroit? I think it's possible because Dan Campbell, I think, could do something unexpected. Like he just seems like a, a coach and obviously the GM Brad Holmes is there as well. But with Dan Campbell being like the kind of unique old school football guy that he is, I don't think anything's off the table at okay. two with the Lions. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, I think all of this Thibodeau noise is to try to get him to fall. I still think absolutely, yeah, me too, um, me too. When it sounds like it's made up, like I don't know, he really loves himself some him. And you're like, he's a pro athlete, isn't that good? Uh, all right, uh, Ahmad Gardner fourth. Man, Ahmad Gardner, when when I was watching Cincinnati. 
uh, this year a little bit from time to time, it'd be like, oh, this guy might be drafted. And now, like, top five? Is that legit? <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to go there. Uh, uh, I, I'm a little concerned about how tall he is. I think I've said it on yeah. this podcast. I don't really want my corners to be 6'3 anymore. But the film is really good. The athleticism, the traits are there. And he didn't allow a touchdown in college. So to the Jets, maybe Giants at four or five seems like where he's going to go. He's concerned with how tall you are also. I'm way uh, shorter than that. Yes, you are. Iki Aquanu going fifth to the Giants seems legit. Okay. Um, yeah. I guess Andrew Thomas isn't like a nightmare anymore, so they maybe right tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evan Neal to the Panthers, who I think, I mean, they obviously need a quarterback, but if you're drafting Kenny Pickett six and putting your whole life's work on Kenny Pickett. If you're Matt rule, I don't know, man, that seems pretty risky. So, okay. A tackle Trayvon Walker to the giants at number seven. Seems fair enough Yeah, uh, that the league, like you said, is exploded in love for him. Derek Stingley jr. To the Falcons who need a quarterback, mm. but also don't have to rush on a quarterback. I mean, they could wait, they could just tank with Marcus Mariota where they need so many things that you might as well just get bodies look for, you know, AJ Terrell, Derek Stingley. Okay. Uh, do you have a take on that? Who cares about the Falcons, right? No. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense, but yeah, they're (laughs) definitely rebuilding. They're not going to be a player this year. Uh, Charles cross to Seattle. You think Seattle takes a quarterback? I could see that being Malik Willis. I, for all the reasons that you mentioned, like you don't want to tie your horse to Kenny Pickett If you're the Panthers necessarily, it feels like also they wouldn't want to pick Malik Willis because they don't want to wait. They want, maybe trade for Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo after the draft. But the Seahawks feel like that kind of quirky team that could pick Malik Willis and be like, guess what, kid? You're starting week one. Like, I could see that happening. Um, Did I – I don't know if I mentioned this to you or on the show, but the funniest headline I've ever seen is that Baker Mayfield and the Panthers have mutual disinterest. Yes, I saw that. I've never seen that before in my life. That is the funniest. (laughs) But, hey, you might – it's way better than what you have now, Baker Mayfield. Mm -hmm. He had a good year like two years ago. I mean, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Garrett Wilson to the Jets. That makes a ton of sense. Zach Wilson just needs more people to throw to and got to yep. find out if he can play. And then Malik Willis to the commanders of Washington. So, hmm. I mean, makes a ton of sense to me that they would want Malik Willis. And so that leaves all the other quarterbacks on the board and lots of options for the Vikings. Uh, we did a sim the other day where I took uh, George Karlaftis you got Drake hmm. London is on the board. Jamison Williams. I'd love a take on Jamison Williams. What do you think of him? I'm a big fan. He's my number two wide receiver in this class. But uh, again, if the Vikings are trying to, what are they doing? A rebuild, competitive rebuild, competitive rebuild. So you just pick a side with whatever you do in the draft. You say, no, no, that's the rebuild side. If you pick Jamison Williams, if you pick a corner, you're like, that's the competitive. It's side. smart. It's smart from a PR standpoint by this new Vikings regime. So you got to, you know, give them an A plus for their, their PR early on um what i was going to say is instead of just saying like who i think they they could draft i'm literally looking at my scouting grade book big board right now and uh drake london would be the highest player left right after him uh andrew booth who i'm a lot higher on than most and Mm -hmm. jameson williams so we were talking about pro days not mattering but if if drake london runs like four seven and is just like not a top 12 overall talent then maybe he wouldn't go there, but I would love Drake London and Jamison Williams. If you're, you know, wanting to stretch the field with Kirk cousins, who's ironically one of the better deep ball passers in the league, despite not having a big arm. And that could be, I think we talked about it last episode. You have Justin Jefferson, the tail end 
end of Adam Thielen's career. By November, Jameson Williams can be on the field and then kind of slowly, even in season, take over for Adam Thielen uh, down the stretch as I think the Vikings are going to be trying to push for the playoffs. I like it. Uh, I have been very much on the wide receiver train. Can I ask you, though, real quick about Devontae Wyatt? Um, Because Mm. when I was watching Georgia, just in football games, he was the guy that stood out to me the most. Oh, yeah. He's he I have him graded a lot higher than Jordan Davis. Um, I have him like in the early second, though. I don't know how crazy of an athlete he is, but if you want a traditional like three technique first step quickness is pretty good pass rushing moves are there decent power like he's just across the board a solid player there wasn't one area of his game you know that I mentioned earlier with edge rushers you got to be bendy got to have pass rushing moves Devontae Wyatt just is good he's like I would say you know an eight out of ten in all those categories if they wanted to you know, get more pass rushing juice there. I would technically call it a little bit of a reach, but he has a very, very high floor, much higher floor in my opinion than his teammate Jordan Davis. Mm. Uh, So we'll go Drake London here and then move on to uh, the second round where you're going to have a little more detail on some of these players than me. So everybody is taking who's doing draft Sims, Jalen Petrie from Baylor. Mm. Uh, It just, I, when people send me their draft Sims, which I always appreciate and thank you for, uh, that's a guy that they're always taking Leo Chanel, who we talked about earlier. Uh, Nick Benito is here on the draft board, just looking for positions that the Vikings might need. Uh, Kingsley Ang- Anigbare is how it's being Anigbare, pronounced. Yep. Uh, Drake Jackson. Let's see. Just scrolling down to Cameron Thomas from San Diego state, man. If you grinded his tape, you deserve credit. Um, so Do we have, wait, who are the corners that are available again? All right. Let me look. Uh, it's not popping up with corners being a top position. So let me see what we got here. Oh, Jalen Petrie, uh, Martin Emerson, Marcus Jones, who I took in a draft sim the other day, Zion McCollum, Cordell Flott. That's a great one. Take Taking him at some point. Okay. I would say, and you're going to laugh at this because we've talked about this a lot. If there is a player that the Vikings, I know it's a different regime. They want to roll the dice again and blow into their hands first. Don't and go, do it. Come on, Danell Hunter. Don't go it lanky is, defensive end. If you do it, it I, I will shut this off. It's not. It, <laughs> if it is, it would be. And it's not the biggest need. Uh, Drake Jackson from USC is a really intriguing guy. Jalen Petrie, do they need a, a slot defender? Because that's really what he is more so than a safety. He's like a truly a slot corner that's super duper twitchy and like a blitzer off the end. He's not really like an outside corner. At least uh, Drake Jackson. Well, I think, I mean, yes, they do need a nickel corner. Uh, They have Shandon Sullivan there right now, who I don't really think is much of a starter long-term, but uh, Drake Jackson at least got sacks. So if you're looking for what to call the next Daniil, it's someone who's lanky, had good relative athletic scores, and sacked nobody in college. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Drake London's not, not perfectly that type. It's the funniest thing, though. Like, no, what we figured out, is that you don't sack people. That's like, no, no, that was just Daniil. It was a weird thing, okay? Actually, on the PFF podcast, they they went into depth about this and kind of like poked fun at the Vikings for just saying like, let's just draft everyone that had no sacks. And it was like kind of tall and lanky and it never really worked for like four or five years. They have followed um, me on Twitter for long enough. They know this. Yeah, I would say... I would but say I like Jaylen the Drake P- Jackson pick. Yeah, either Drake Jackson or Jalen Petrie. You decide. It's your podcast. 
Uh, Drake Jackson, I mean, that's not the biggest need after signing Zadarius Smith and getting Danelle Hunter back. Um, but Drake Jackson was, I believe, like he was a five-star recruit, maybe like the top DN recruit in the country a couple years ago. And he definitely has the burst and the bend around the corner. The pass rushing moves are a little bit behind, but what's weird about him, and just to keep this nugget in case the Vikings do draft him, he looked super skinny on film. Before the combine, someone, I think like in in the uh, USC area, like a local writer said, Drake Jackson's not skinny anymore. He's in the 270s. And everyone's like, I tweeted, I was like, 270s? He measured in at the combine in like the 250s. I'm like, what the hell was that? But then at the USC Pro Day, which was like only a couple weeks later, he was literally like 272. I was like, how did he gain 20 pounds? I didn't did not understand what happened. So Drake Lund- or Drake Jackson to go Drake London and Drake Jackson, I think would make a lot of sense. Um, but Drake Jackson is very intriguing because didn't quite live up to being a five-star recruit, but you definitely see the five-star recruit skills and traits there. And and like you mentioned, he pressured the quarterback and sacked the quarterback in college. That would be, you know, the Drake London would be the competitive. Uh, side of the rebuild uh, of this new philosophy and the Drake Jackson would be, Hey, we have our guys, but we are rebuilding. So this guy's going to be our future Danelle Hunter in 2023 and beyond. This is the Drake's only drafts mm-hmm. him. We can only draft I don't know if there's any other Drake. I don't think there's uh, any other Drake's. Also, I was going to comment that you and I being from Buffalo know how fast you can gain 20 pounds with the right food. So just True. throw that out there. Uh, okay. So third round, we'll just go through the third and, mm-hmm. um, uh, is there a particular position that you think they should look corner, at here? Corner is to me in round three, just how I have them graded. I think there's a lot of good corners that will okay. be available. Let's see who's available. We got uh, Marcus Jones intrigues me from Houston. Uh, kind of some of the guys that I brought up before Zion McCollum, Cordell Flott, Cam Taylor Britt, I think is an interesting mm. player. Uh, Josh, maybe it's Joby, or if it's just Job, then that's hilarious because of arrested development. Um, yes. Co- there's no. There is not a real player in the draft named Kobe Bryant. With a yes, C. there that's, is no, named named after Kobe Bryant, spelled differently, but apparently he was named after Kobe. Stop. Okay, from those players, I want it, like if I was uh, Quasi Adolfo Mensa, I would go want to go corner here. I know teams like to say hey, we don't draft for need. Yes, you do. Uh, Looks like I'm reaching slot- though, doesn't it? Am I reaching? Mm, I mean, based on probably the PFF board a little yeah. Zion McCollum, if you're an outside corner guy at this point, Cam Taylor Britt, super explosive, really chippy player. I think he would really uh, benefit a lot from learning under Patrick Peterson because he's a, just a really, really good player already with and has upside. Um, Marcus Jones and there was one other. Can you name them again? There was one other slot corner. Uh, Cord- it, uh, oh, Cordell, Cordell Flott. Flott. Cordell Flott from LSU, really lanky. He's like six foot one seventy five or one eighty, yeah, yeah. which is a weird body type. Uh, but he's super twitchy. He is very explosive. Uh, so any one of those corners, really, they would have kind of the pick of the litter. Those three or four, I really, really like a lot. The thing about mm. Marcus Jones is that he's tiny. He mm. is little playmaker, but I feel like he's like. Five seven, five yeah. eight, one seventy. He's a little dude on film, short, short arms, but a playmaker. So they could go edge wide receiver, and there will still be good corners available in the third round, most likely. Okay, just real quick, uh, if they drafted Cordell Flot, we would call him the Flot corner instead of the slot corner. Absolutely, but I'm not picking him. I'm picking Cam Taylor Britt. Uh, yes, 
Although really good player. we have seen, you have seen growing up watching Anton Winfield, people did here. Sometimes the short corner can be pretty good. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we'll see if PFF is going to give us an F minus for drafting mostly Drake's. Uh, mostly Drake's is my alternative ban. Um, <laughs> so they gave us a D for the pick of Cam Taylor Britt. Well, sorry, PFF mock thing, but uh, both Drake's got good grades. Overall, we got a B plus. And I think if the Vikings came away with two defensive players for the future and who could provide immediate depth and a receiver right away who could eventually take over for Adam Thielen and play a number two role to Justin Jefferson. I think that's a really good draft for the Vikings, assuming that they only have three picks in the first three rounds and there aren't trades. So um, wait, one last thing that I want to say to, to defend my cam Taylor Britt. Um, We've been talking about pro days. Do they matter? Do they not? Maybe some of your listeners are like, Hey, I think pro days matter. Cam Taylor Britt ran four, three, eight at the combine uh, and had a three cone under seven seconds. And maybe, I don't know if you said earlier, three cone doesn't matter for corners. He just looks like a high caliber athlete that checks out to those figures on film. The recovery skill is there. He's a great tackler too. I don't know how much this new coaching staff cares about that. And I usually don't factor it in too much, but on the outside, whether it be a a pitch play, a screen, or he notices a shallow cross, plants, drives on the football. You don't see him miss a lot of tackles. Kind of just feels like a high floor player that also has upside because of the explosiveness to his game. All right. Here's what we're going to do for our next show. We'll have some sort of really deep emotional draft discussion as we always do. But at the end, remind me of this. I'm going to take every player from the seventh round of the PFF draft sim and see if you could tell me where they're from or how tall they are or just anything about them from the seventh okay. round. Okay. I'll try to be fully prepared. I'm, yeah. I'm probably pretty close, but I'm still watching like you know, guy 300 to 350 <laughs> at this point, trying to be prepared uh, because I want to know like every player during the draft, I'm doing the live draft tracker for CBS sports this year again. Oh, awesome. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's like my favorite endeavor of the season, but it's like scary getting into the sixth and seventh round. Like last year, even the Cowboys picked Nishan Wright, a corner from Oregon state in the third round. And like no one knew who he was. So that's always, that's like the nightmare that you want to avoid. So I'm like watching like guy, like guards from Mercer and whatever, I, <laughs> any film I can get my hand on. So yes, that'll be a fun exercise next week. Awesome. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Chris Trapasso at Chris Trapasso on Twitter and CBSSports.com is where you can read all of his draft coverage. We will do it again soon. Football.